This is the Epilog Audio Experience. The language and content on this podcast may be unsuitable for certain audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to History Chatter. This is part 2 of Old Velayate Films. In the last episode we heard about a number of films made during the Second World War by and on British soldiers fighting on the Burma front and how they establish a certain degree of authenticity about those characters but there was more to this films this films also give us a sneak peek about the rest of the war and there's much that this films do not tell us about who else had fought in those wars so in this episode i get into a background or the background of those films let's listen in it was the case that the northern and especially the lancastrian voice was seen up until the 1940s and beyond as something essentially comic working class men were an instrument to poke fun with as for instance uh, films of george romby jimmy slidero and frank randall now the documentary movement during the war time gave cinematic identity to the popular conception of class regional and gender constructs people learned to think about class region and gender identities by means of watching some of these documentaries and the use of accents and language was one of the key devices in these constructions so the regional voice was reserved for non serious subjects usually until then and the metropolitan upper class accent was still consistently invoked for documentary voice overs the the voice of god uh, that film scholars talk about so that would be the standard voice over uh, for news reels or anything that required critical depth the critical depth uh, you are supposed to come from the metropolitan neutral accent and the regional accent was something um, to laugh at usually until that moment but the men speaking in the blighty films in in their rockdale or salford accents are presented in a warm but serious context which adds to their authenticity and immediacy to the viewer today it's their imperfection which looking back today is part of their authenticity and in that sense these films stand out in their uniqueness Now conditions for all sides were terrible especially in monsoon and there was an overwhelming sense in the 14th army that they were losing uh there was a long range penetration behind japanese lines by brigadier ord wingets irregular unit which showed that limited success against japanese was possible nonetheless However in the context of the war as a whole even their effectiveness was questionable it was only when uh, the determined lieutenant general william slim was appointed commander of the 14th army that the situation began to improve in 1943 
So, the British war in Burma was essentially a war to reclaim the country for the empire. And it was fought by a Commonwealth army, in which the British troops were very much in the minority. Their objective was to liberate Burma, Burma Road and Supply for Chiang Kai-shek's nationalist China, and it was to keep China in the war and to strike Japan directly from there. The reasons for the war or its objectives are completely absent from the Calling Blighty films. And there are scant references even to the enemy, apart from the passing, uh, will still got Johnny Jap on the run and things like that aside. Nor is there any reference to the empire-based makeup of the army that the British soldiers were a minority is not revealed in their dialogues. It was all about the British soldiers. The 14th Army in reality was a multinational and empire force, where out of 6,90,000 men, over 6 lakhs were Commonwealth forces, which meant they came from various parts of the empire mostly Indian, but also Burmese. Part of them were Gurkhas. They were Karen and West African regiments. And they were uh, about 1,200 US allied forces. And in some battles, uh, there were Chinese soldiers. Only about 19,000 men of the army were British. But the contribution of the 6 lakh other soldiers from other nationalities is entirely absent from these old blighty firms. This is more or less, why more or less, totally about the British soldiers struggling in the battlefront in Burma. So the relationship to the countries they were speaking from is rarely explored. But some contradictions are subtly revealed. Sometimes the men use Hindi or Burmese words, especially tikhe, as in tikhe or okay, deko or deko, and blighty itself, um, as I referred earlier, is originally a Hindi word, velayati. But Indians are without exception portrayed either as servants or as silent extras within the shot. In one case, an Indian lifeguard on Malabar Beach in Bombay follows a group of three Sheffield men and stands mute behind them for some time whilst they deliver their messages. In one particularly uncomfortable sequence, a West African regiment fighting for an empire far from home is portrayed in an obviously staged drama. An African soldier languidly carries a log to where a group of his comrades stand, whereupon a British lance corporal appears and starts to berate them in their own language, apparently for laziness. Well, the films arose from a sense of invisibility and lack of morale against the British troops. The distances were so great to India, Burma and Malaya that home leave was pretty much impossible, again a point that I, I referred briefly above. But they would get leave in the European theatre, they could go home. These guys had very few welfare amenities and, and uh, indeed uh, very infrequently. They, they did have a few clubs, they would have wireless sets and they would have an occasional cinema. 
and they would have visits um, from some people whom they were occasional and often non-existent. Food for them was monotonous and uh, compared very poorly to US trips in the same conflict. The Americans had tinned bear, Coca-Cola and, and ice cream, whereas the British soldiers existed often on tins of bully beef and a strict beer ration to three bottles a month. And some of them would call this a monthly insult or the monthly insult. Uh, these were men who perceived themselves as, as ignored or overlooked, even on active service in wartime. Uh, Mountbatten, uh, who was the commander of Far East at the time, uh, in fact, after uh, General Slim moved out, and he had this to say on the bomber campaign in 1943. And this is uh, under courts. He says, I understand you believe you are the forgotten army. That's not true. The truth is nobody's ever bloody well heard of you. And, and that's as direct as um, it gets. One reason for this lacuna is that the Burma campaign had precious little in it to celebrate for a population in Britain until the victories over the Japanese at Kohima and Imphal in March 1944 came about. Prior to that, the dominant story was one of shame following the surrender in Singapore and failure against the Japanese in jungle warfare. But that really was small consolation for the soldiers fighting the war. The men hardly express any opinions about the war they are engaged in. They focus on the here and now, the regularity of the male, the visible health and demeanor of the speaker. The codes of emotional expression in the films are distinctive and mostly formal. Many men express their messages as, as they would in a conventional letter, hoping you are keeping well. As you see, it leaves me well. Others are much more conversational or even comic. Remember, Tojo can't beat a man who served his time on the corporation bus. But most of the men project an understated matter of factness. I'm all right, you know, a stoicism occasionally belied by an open emotion which might be found unusual today but seems remarkable for the period and represents um, a non-ironic and authentic voice of masculinity, rare in film but perhaps more evident in soldiers' letters. Lift up your heart, bright eyes, be in God's keeping, one man says, his voice trembling. And several messages seem to come nakedly from the heart. Look after Mari for me because my love for her will never die. And I'm looking forward to the day when we'll once again be united, he said. Much of the power of the films comes from the presentation in the first person in crisp 35mm film images. An exceptional sound looking straight into the camera. A cinematic expression that was then and still today remains unusual. They have uh, the immediacy of Skype or Zoom, but with the high production values of cinema. This kind of direct address is almost unknown in fiction film and rare in documentary. Although we've become used to it through television and interviews on film, are still usually told not to look directly at the camera. The intensity of gaze, the direct look, 
combined with the heightened up secular service of the atmosphere surrounding the screenings combined to produce highly charged events it's the emotion of these um, events that needs to be highly noted at a time and among a people where emotion was not particularly encouraged not just that they also ask questions of of their superiors of their conditions let's consider this example flying officer timmins in burma with grim humor and lancashire dialect refers to the possibility of death and i quote this film comes to you by courtesy of the bully beef beans and borrowed of tea corporation showing you some of britain's bonny boys stationed in burma of course folks you've seen harry lamer with charles boyer you've seen dorothy lamer in and out of a saron you've seen betty grable with twinkling legs but you've seen nothing yet until you've seen the stars in the green battle dress ah it's a real gradely place you know a real gradely place for anybody to die in and his companions laugh unquote this ironic voice is different to to uh, many other kinds of messages there is some skepticism about the nature here of a universal soldier steel and the northern and mancunian voice here expresses particular inflections and references which discloses a cultural memory a national archive of meanings which are not the same as those linked to other regions or other people this um body of messages were not meant only to be delivered and archived they were meant to be played in in uh, cinema theaters and meant to be observed by their family members and uh, these were just one site where groups and individuals can negotiate their representation of war and also of notions of the family let's move then to how these movies were seen then and now the recreations of the original screenings for relatives in in more recent times were a communal but also highly personal experience akin to a ritual or a service in the church this as an observer said uh, allowed us to talk to the dead and steve holly held in november 2015 a recreated screening of the blighty films to an audience of surviving relatives he had traced them through a large scale publicity campaign the screening was also filmed for uh, the channel for documentary messages home the documentary was broadcast in in 2017 uh the screening was held at home manchester's contemporary arts center and the format had coincidentally many of the elements of the original screenings after the film of the home front in manchester in 1942 an edited compilation which shows a variety of responses in the blighty films from humorous to deeply moving a clip of each serviceman was shown with a short identifying title to a packed cinema of 250 relatives 
They were also able to introduce to each other two of the men still alive who appeared in the films, Frank Risby and Crane Chadwick. This, this order of service, um, like a prayer, lasted about an hour, roughly the length of a mass. The individual soldiers were shown and honored, and the reception afterwards also had faint religious echoes. The relatives from the several generations that uh, they had traced reacted with great warmth and emotion, even when they had already seen their ancestors' films. Sometimes several times, clearly, the ritual event was tapping into something that fused private and family memory and public remembrance. That was one way of remembering these films. The media was another uh, way of remembering some of these uh, men and their experiences. So Channel 4 made this documentary called Messages Home, Lost Films of the British Army. It spoke of the contradictions of the war, but also focused on five personal stories of these soldiers. It broke down the heroic warrior myths and other unexplored codes of patriotism and sacrifice. Frank Miller's, uh, one of the soldiers in the campaign, his children thought he had served in the catering corps as a cabbage mechanic. But the emblem on his uniform showed he was a member of the legendary Chindits whose exploits behind the Japanese lines had boosted morale. The cook turned out to be a warrior and the Chindits were themselves mythologized. However, the broadcast did engage with collective remembrance in public recollection through these personal stories where the individual story stood for the whole conflict. And the stories gained wide and deserved popular acclaim. The documentary followed five individual men, uh, and one of them, Keen Shadwick, still alive, and their families. And through their stories, tried to open up uh, the stories of the war in the Far East and interconnect family stories with military history. The stories were framed by military historian Bob Lyman and it had a voiceover by Paul Magan. There was a suggestion for um, a female voiceover, but that was rejected. It focused on revelation, but still quietly revealed, if not emphasized, the facts about the war in the Far East, that it was primarily to recapture colonies lost to the Japanese and that 85% of the 14th Army came from the British Empire, that it did not involve the British soldier that much. It was the Indian soldier who suffered the most casualties, but the British had also suffered. One telling sequence group shot of Lancashire men in Burma in 1944 showed just how many of the men delivering confident messages had been killed by the end of the war. This is the point when we need to take a break and reflect. We need to reflect on the value of these films, even as we think about what they leave out. 
they carried very important emotional messages to boys who had been away from families for a very long time and fighting a war amid strange and harsh conditions they had been missing their family their wives their children their parents and these films managed to capture their pent up emotions their angst their anxiety yet we must not forget that these were films which indeed left out a great deal of very useful and relevant information about the battle scene about the realities of the the 14th army about the reality that a majority of the soldiers were not british they were a minority this indeed is his uh, how history is often written and remembered history carries powerful messages but it also carries limited messages while we read and engage with history it's important to pay attention to messages that history often is forced to leave out indeed some of these left out messages are picked up later by historians i spoke about how um steve holly detected a number of ironies a number of secret codes and a number of warm excessive points that those soldiers made how they made fun of of death how they made fun of the war and how later screenings that holly organized reminded the audience of the larger realities of the war this is how history needs to be read this is how history needs to be engaged there will be missing messages all the time but it is up to the reader it is up to the scholar and it is also up to the listener to find out more on his or her own thank you very much that brings an end to this episode and now i need to request you to subscribe to get back to us about the content about the quality and about possibilities for improvement of history chatter this is onirban your friend signing off do remember to subscribe to history chatter in epilog media website jio seven gana and apple podcast thank you very much looking forward to meeting you once again in the next episode bye bye